It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. John Maxwell once said, A leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. Joining me, as always, is Jonathan, my co-host for more than two decades. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. So, Jonathan, what are we talking about for today's episode? Well, Rick, our question is, does my church leadership have it right? And our theme text is found in Mark chapter 9, verse 35. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Okay, so does my church leadership have it right? Coming up in today's podcast, what's the difference between a pastor and an elder? What's the difference between a bishop and an overseer? Find out the surprising biblical perspective on this in about 15 minutes. Most of us probably have pastors who went to a seminary. Well, there were no seminary schools back in New Testament times. So how were pastors chosen back then? We're going to look at that in about 30 minutes. And have you ever thought about what kind of character and focus a pastor should have? The Bible says a mouthful on this, and you don't want to miss it, and we'll be getting there in about 40 or 45 minutes. So first we need to find out exactly what kinds of denominational contradictions we're dealing with and how it all got started. So how is Christianity supposed to be organized? If you look at the countless denominations we have today, you'll see a wide variety of interpretations regarding leadership. With some, it all boils down to one individual leader— With others, it's a committee of several. In many cases, those in authority have the responsibility of delegating who is to oversee each of the local congregations. With so much variety, have you ever wondered, is there actually a right way to do all of this? If we're able to go to church and feel blessed, I mean, does it even matter? So what did the early church do? How did they decide who would lead and where? Did the apostles give us a God-sanctioned system to perpetuate leadership for the flock all down through the age, even until now? Wow, (laughs) this seems like a big subject with so many diverse opinions. Yeah, absolutely. Today's conversation, as a matter of fact, folks, we're going to give you a specific perspective on church leadership And our perspective is uncommon. It is not something you're going to hear every day. We're attempting to model our understanding of how the Christian church is supposed to work after New Testament direction only. So we're going to give you our perspective based on Scripture. We're asking you to study and decide on what you think based on the Scriptures. So let's get started, Jonathan. Did the early church have a hierarchy? Well, some say yes, and take these next verses as positive proof that there's a hierarchy, you know, beneath Jesus. Matthew 16, 15 through 18. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, 
You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Okay, so you've got this scripture that's often quoted, and thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and it will be strong enough that the gates of Hades will not be able to overpower it. So you are Peter. What does the word Peter actually mean? Well, Rick, it means a piece of rock. And this is always translated Peter or stone regarding Peter's name. So it's a stone or a pebble. Okay. One traditional interpretation of this verse, Matthew 16, 15 through 18, indicates that Peter was to be the father of Christian church leadership. This leadership is believed to pass down through all the generations of Christianity. Is that what this verse is saying? Well, look, let's look at the verse and look at it a little bit critically. Jesus says to him, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church. The word for rock is not the same word as the word for Peter. So what's the word for rock, Jonathan? Well, Rick, it means a large mass of rock. And Peter was? A piece of rock, okay. a stone. So smaller. It's, it's, it's a different kind of, of, of rock. And you say, well, okay, so what? Well, think about this. The only time that this word for rock is used, upon this rock will I build my church, the only time it you, it's used symbolically in the New Testament, always it refers to Jesus. Let's give you two examples of that. Matthew seven twenty four is the first. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And of course, we know that rock is Jesus himself. That's right. So, builds his house upon a rock. And you know, if you're going to build your house upon a rock, you don't want a pebble. You want a big rock that can hold the found, that can be the foundation for that house. So, Jesus himself uses that word rock to symbolize himself in that particular parable. 1 Corinthians 10.4 is even more specific. 1 Corinthians 10.4. And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And again, it's not some little pebble. It's a big mass of rock. Both of those scriptures show us that word is used to describe Christ. So, you know, when we look at this, we see the, uh, Jesus telling Peter, you are essentially a small pebble. A small rock, but upon this rock, what rock? Jesus. Right, because Peter had just said, you are the Messiah, the chosen one. And Jesus is saying to him, upon that, upon me being the Messiah, the chosen one, I will build my church. So it's not built upon Peter. No. It's entirely built upon Jesus. So Peter, the other thing about Peter, and, and this is a wonderful example of Peter, you know, Peter gets a lot of hard comments because his weaknesses are shown in Scripture. And we love him for that because we all make mistakes. Yes, yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. We love him for it, and yes, we do make mistakes. But see, Peter saw himself not as above anyone else in, in any hierarchy, but he saw himself as an equal servant. 
this is really important. This, this and and this these are Peter's own words. First Peter chapter um, five verse one. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Well, Rick, just like other elders of other congregations is what Peter's saying, but he clarifies that he was a witness of Christ where some of them were not. So, but he's saying, I exhort the elders among you, I'm your fellow elder. He's not saying, I'm chief of the elders. He's not saying, I'm in the overseer of the elders. I'm the same as you. Yes, and, and, and there's a tremendous humility, because look, Peter carried some special, special privileges and responsibilities. There's no question about that. But when we look at him as he understands himself in relation to others, there is this great humility on his part in this great equality. So each segment, Jonathan, we want to draw a Christian leadership conclusion. This is just to get us started. Where are we going with this? Jesus is telling Peter that his proclamation of Jesus as the Christ is the rock, the solid foundation of Christianity. Peter, the small rock, would be fundamentally to the church's growth and success, but Jesus himself is the foundation and leader. So we can't forget who the foundation is. It's unquestionably Jesus Christ himself, period. And that made me think of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 through 27. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. This verse really, you know, think about it, Rick. These prophets, they, they weren't even a part of following in Jesus' footsteps. They didn't even know Jesus. But their example, the lessons that we could look back and learn from with the teachings of the apostles give us strength. But it's all built on that cornerstone, that chief cornerstone, Jesus himself. And, and that's such an important thing. And, 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 you know, look, you're listening, you're saying, well, of course Jesus is the cornerstone. Right, but he's the only cornerstone. And that's the thing we need to understand. He's the only cornerstone. And we need to have that clear in our minds as we develop our thinking about the foundation of the church and how it's supposed to operate. Peter is important, but he's not above the other apostles. He knew his role as a leader and a humble example. Didn't the 12 apostles, by definition, represent a natural hierarchy and foundation for the church? It's been a privilege and exciting interacting with our listeners all over the world. Reach out to us anytime at ChristianQuestions.com. In addition to always continuing the conversation on our website, in social media, and our YouTube channel. Learn more about becoming a Christian Questions Ambassador. There are several impactful ways you can help us continue to spread the gospel message. Go to ChristianQuestions.com and click on Support CQ in the top navigation menu. Join our incredible team of volunteers and find out more. Now back to Rick and Jonathan. You know, we are in absolute agreement that the 12 were in their own category. They were all called by God 
chosen by Jesus himself and are referred to as foundations and pillars. We see the title of apostle reserved for the twelve, as there's no scriptural description as to anyone else becoming an apostle. Now, some people are called apostles, but there's no—Jesus himself is actually called the apostle of our faith. But there's no scripture that says, here's how you become an apostle. Rick, the reference for the apostles being pillars is found in Galatians 2, verse 9. Those included were James, Cephas, John, and they acknowledged Paul. So these and all the other apostles are all built on the foundation of Jesus. And again, it's all built on the foundation of Jesus. So that's where we're starting. We're starting with a simple premise that scripturally there is a foundation. It is Jesus and that's the end of that. What now? Okay, let's go to the next level of thinking and of question. Is there a hierarchy of elders and bishops and pastors and overseers and shepherds that are built on Jesus? No. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) There is not. (laughs) All right. Now, why would we say that? Well, again, we told you that this this podcast is going to show you a perspective that you may not have heard before, but we want you to stay with us. We're trying to do this as scripturally as we possibly can. We believe that these titles, elder, bishop, pastor, overseer, and shepherds, are various ways of describing any individual who's given responsibility for Jesus' flock. So what we're saying is all of these things are describing this, can describe the same person. Why would we say that? Why are there so many names then? Well, let's look at these next verses in 1 Peter, use three of those titles that we just talked about to describe the work of any one elder. Folks, and if you've got your Bible, open it up, read with us, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Okay, so 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 hang on. I, I'm going to, I'm okay. going to, I, I didn't tell you this ahead of time, Jonathan. Sorry, but see, so surprise, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Paul, so Peter says, "I am an elder; you are elders. We are fellow elders." He uses that word. Go ahead, verse two. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly; not by dishonest gain, but eagerly; nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Okay, so he says we are elders, and then he says your job is to shepherd the flock, remember that, we're going to come back to it, and serve as overseers. He's talking to the elders saying these are the things you are supposed to do. Now we're going to to expand that in a minute before we get into the technicalities, if you will. Let's take a look at some observations on the message of this scripture because we want to do a lot of defining. What is Peter actually saying to his fellow elders? Well, Rick, he's saying, serve not because you must, but out of a willing heart. Okay, so make sure that your service is being poured out from you with willingness. What else? Serve not for money, but out of sheer eagerness. Say that again, please. Serve not for money, but out of sheer eagerness. You know, that is such an important principle. What else is he saying? Serve not in a dominating way, but rather as a living example of Christ's likeness. So 
he is talking to his fellow elders, heart-to-heart talk, and he's telling them this is what eldership is. And, you know, Peter would understand what eldership was. If anybody understood it, it would be Peter. Amen. You know, it, and here's the thing, Jonathan. It's God's Spirit that drives these elders, and it should be God's Spirit that gives them responsibility. That sounds like a simple statement, but we have to be sure that we are working through the Spirit of God in all of the decisions regarding the eldership and the guidance and the leadership in our church, because God's Spirit is the linchpin that drives all of this forward to spirituality. Everything else, you can just, essentially, you might as well just have a party. You just might as well have a social gathering, because without God's Spirit, that's what it ends up being in many cases. So let's go to a, a soundbite from Dr. Ravi Zacharias. Now, he is a Christian leader. He passed away earlier this year, and I've listened to him a lot. There's a lot of doctrinal things that we don't agree on, but I have great respect for him in his perception of Scripture and his ability to explain Scripture. And he's talking about being fit to lead. This is interesting. Well, two things, uh, speaking particularly to Christian leaders. Anybody who thinks that they have arrived there by virtue of their own capacity is not fit to lead. Because the whole issue of a calling is so well worded by the Apostle Paul. He says to the people, look, you can boast in whatever you want. I've got more credentials against my name than I'd want to even testify. And he tells you of his tribe, he tells you of his lead, his studies and all of that. He says, I can't all this thing but, but refuse. All this thing is garbage that I may gain the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So biblically and scripturally, forget it. Uh, Somebody once said to uh, Winston Churchill that he was a self-made man, and Churchill said, you've just relieved God of a very solemn responsibility. So biblically and scripturally, if you think you're a self-made person, just forget that and put that aside. And and I love that attitude of, you know, it's not what your qualifications are. It's what not, not the degrees that you have and all of that. It's your character. It's your humility. And that's what Peter was telling his fellow elders in 1 Peter chapter 5. An elder has many responsibilities and wears many different hats, as we will soon see. Please check out our CQ Kids video, What Makes a Good Christian Leader? You can find that at christianquestions.com slash YouTube. Okay, so now let's get into understanding the titles that we talked about, elder, bishop, pastor, overseer, and shepherd. Let's define each one of those things and see how they dovetail together, because we look at them as describing an individual. Why would we say that? Well, first of all, Jonathan, the definition for elders, it, you know, it describes, before we get into the actual definition of the word, we'll just say that the word for elder describes the care for the flock of Jesus in terms of maturity. So maturity is the key factor when we talk about describing an elder. So what does it actually mean? Well, Rick, it means older as a noun, a senior. Okay. And let's look at an example, 1 Timothy 5.17. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Remember the Apostle Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, Don't let anyone despise your youth. So even though elder was defined as older and senior, 
Timothy was spiritually mature because of being mentored by the Apostle Paul himself. Yeah, you know, and, and I take great comfort in that. Uh, I really do. Uh, in my own experience, you know, in, in, in being a minister in our church, an elder, we use that, we use that term. Uh, I was, at a very young age, I became an, an, an elder. And uh, it was a very humbling experience, at the, especially, still is, incidentally, and I'm a lot older than I was then. I have more gray hair than I don't, than I have black hair now. But, um, you know, there was a lot of learning in that very young age. As a matter of fact, after about 10 or 12 years or so, there came a point in my life where I actually had to tell the congregation that, look, I need to resign. I am not doing a good job. I am uh, I'm having a hard time managing my own life. I had certain things going on in life that just were overwhelming, and I just needed to back away because it was not serving appropriately. And I felt guilty because I wasn't present as I should have been. And that was a great, that was a hard experience, but it was a great learning experience. But you know, the idea of maturity doesn't always come with years. Usually, yes, absolutely. And hopefully, as every one of us gets older, we become more mature. But we can find maturity more quickly sometimes in certain individuals along the way. And we want to recognize and honor that, but also want to make sure we don't give somebody too much responsibility to, to you know, make them proud, okay? So interesting situation when you look at that. Okay, so elder means the shepherding of Jesus' flock or the care for Jesus' flock in terms of maturity, spiritual maturity. The word for bishop, we're going to see, is the same word as overseer. Same word. This describes the care for the flock of Jesus in terms of oversight. And you notice, Jonathan, as we describe each one, we're saying the care for the flock of Jesus. Because it's not your flock, it's not my flock, it's his. Absolutely. We are instructed to care for it. So what does the word for bishop or overseer actually mean? Well, Rick, it means a superintendent. So as an elder, one of the duties is an overseer or superintendent. That is about being organized. An elder oversees operations of the congregation to keep services uh, reverential, orderly, and comfortable. Other duties are scheduling, supervising activities, and tasks. It's about making in a God-honoring environment. So superintending, really taking care of making sure it, it's all working the way it's supposed to. That's part of the responsibility. That's a descriptor, if you will. Now, there's another word used for bishop overseer. It's very, very similar. Uh, what does that mean? It means inspection by implication superintendence. So it's the same thing. It's the exact same thing, just a slightly different form of the word. So let's look at uh, some scriptures that use this word. Now, in Acts 20.28, 20, that's the scripture we're going to start with, and we're actually going to come back to this later. But um, it, it uses the word overseer. Go ahead. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God. Okay, and now, and it said earlier in Acts 20 that, Jesus, that, that the Apostle Paul is talking to fellow elders as well. So he's saying, elders, you are overseers. That's what he says. Philippians 1, verse uh, 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. The word for bishops is the exact same word 
as overseers. So you They're see, they're a superintendent, right? So, that, but it's an interchangeable word, and we want to make sure that we're clear on that. And finally, one last example using that other word of superintendents: First Timothy three one. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. So, if any man aspires to superintendence, to contributing to the flock, to Jesus' flock, by helping it be like you said, be be efficient and God-honoring and reverent. That's a good work to be doing. You know, that, mm-hmm. That's what he's saying. So again, we've got this elder and this bishop slash overseer as two different ways of describing one thing, one person. That's what Peter said. He said, you know, you are serving as overseers. That's what he said in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verse 2. Now let's go down to the uh, to the last word because there's actually three words that are, that are used that have um, different meanings, but they're sh- describing different parts of the same person. And again, this is the word for shepherd or pastor, interchangeable once again. It describes the care for the flock of Jesus in terms of feeding and well-being. This was also used in 1 Peter 5. So Jonathan, what is the definition of, of the, that word? There's two different, slightly different words. Well, Rick, it's a shepherd literally or figuratively or to tend as a shepherd of. Okay, so it's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Now, you know what? You're saying, why would they use all these different words if you're describing the same person? Here's a simple, here's a simple explanation. What does shepherding look like? A <laughs> shepherd is a watchman. His primary responsibility is the safety and welfare of the flock. He guides, cares for, feeds, protects, and nurtures. This is very different than the qualities of a superintendent. So you have to use different words so you can describe different aspects of the work. It's just like being a father or a mother. Okay, I'm my kid's dad. Is that the only word that I go by? Well, no, I'm supposed to be an example to them. I'm supposed to be a disciplinarian to them. I'm supposed to be a motivator for them. Sometimes I try to be a comedian. Depending on their age, they'll laugh or they'll just roll their eyes. You know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm supposed to be a supporter for them. I'm supposed to be a nurturer for them. So you say, well, yeah, you're either dad. Yeah, but these are the things you do. Well, you're an elder, but these are the things that you do. This is the way it works. This is what's required of each and every elder to the best of their capacity. So let's look at a, 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 a scripture that, again, we're going back to Acts 20, 28, We use it to say, okay, it uses the word overseer, but then let's put the focus on the next couple of words, so just read that scripture again. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock, over which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Okay, so to feed is to tend as a shepherd. Go ahead. That's right. And I was thinking of John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17, which is the conversation that Jesus and Peter had after Peter's denial. Remember, he asked Peter, do you love me? Then Jesus said, tend my lambs. Well, this refers to the babes in Christ, new followers of Jesus. They need the milk of the word, basic truths. Then Jesus said, shepherd my sheep. Well, this describes the body of the congregation, the middle age. The complete plan of God needs to be directed to them so they get a complete understanding. And Jesus said, tend my sheep, 
This refers to the older mature ones in the way. They need the meat of the word to grow, the deep things of God. There are different ways of pastoring depending on the needs of the individuals in the congregation, but all should be fed. So the point is, whether you are a bishop slash overseer doing that kind of work or a shepherd slash pastor doing that kind of work, you're still an elder. And we say that emphatically because Peter tells us that emphatically, and so does Paul in Acts chapter 20. We didn't take the time to go into those verses. One more verse, Jonathan, using the word for um, shepherd as a pastor, Ephesians 4.11. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Okay, some as—and it's interesting, apostles and prophets and evangelists. You've got these three very specific um, categories. And then he says some as pastors and teachers. He lumps the two together. Because pastoring, shepherding, has to do with teaching, with instructing. This is what it's supposed to be. So what we're saying, folks, is that there is a position of responsibility, and we'll call it the, quote, highest position within the church, and it encompasses all of these things. It's not broken up into you do this and you do that and you do the other, but the scriptures are telling us they're all together. They all work together. What's our Christian leadership conclusion here? There is a simplicity in the early church's organization. They were to have specific individuals in place who were personally and directly responsible for feeding and nurturing their spiritual well-being and environment. Individuals that were responsible for the broad picture. That's the way the scriptures describe it. Who are we to add or subtract from that scriptural description. So look, this is a very different take on Christian organization than most of us have ever heard. And it seems really simple. These elders were to be in every local church. So who decided who would be chosen as an elder? Personal Bible study is so rewarding. So many of our listeners have asked if we could provide an online Bible study course. We're happy to announce a new library of thoughtful questions based on each episode's CQ Rewind show notes. Each study is a compact single page of thought-provoking questions with scripture references and more. These are perfect for your individual study or small groups. Go to ChristianQuestions.com, then click on Bible study in the main menu to get started. What's next in our audio study, Rick? As we will see, the New Testament speaks of ordaining elders in every church. Now, for us living now in the 21st century, the meaning of this process seems to be intuitive. It seems like someone appoints individuals to a position. However, what seems intuitive to us is not necessarily true historically. And, we, and it's simpler than you may think. Yeah, it, you're right. You're right. It really is. It's simpler than you may think. And I think it's profound. So we're going to talk about this idea of ordaining elders in every church. This is another important aspect of it. And again, remember our big question, does my church leadership have it right? What we're attempting to do here is go back to Scripture and see how they did it. We're being critical of how we read Scripture to try to get the actual meaning and say, can we take that actual meaning from then and apply it now successfully as Christians? And I believe emphatically the answer is absolutely what are we waiting for. 
(laughs) (laughs) So here's the decision process in early Christianity. The context of this verse in Acts 14 is Paul and Barnabas are on a missionary journey. So we're going to go to Acts 14, 21 to 23. And when they had preached the gospel to the city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Now, Rick, before we get to the definition for ordained, and it is exciting, you know, <laughs> what it means. It's a game changer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I know, no, you can't wait. But first, I have a question. Okay, okay. What, what does it mean to be confirming the souls of the disciples? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I, I, I really think that that has to do with the ordaining of elders in every church. When you confirm, you're, 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 you're recognizing, you're, you're, you're acknowledging that these are strong, true disciples. Part of that confirming means that you recognize God's Spirit in them, and that they are really following after Christ. They are the called out ones. That's where we get to the definition of what it means to ordain. Now remember, 21st century, you say, well, they ordained elders in every church. Paul, or Paul must have just appointed you, you, and you. That's not what it means. What does the word ordain actually mean in ancient Greek? To be a hand reacher or voter by raising the hand. That is generally to select or appoint. Okay, to select or appoint by the raising of the hand. A voter. That's what the actual definition of the word is. So the thought here is not to appoint like one person pointing to somebody say, you, you're the one. It's a voting process. These elders were chosen from within the congregations. Notice there's no reference to bringing men in from elsewhere to do the job. It's all from within. So this word means to choose as a function of a group. Albert Barnes has some good commentary on this. The word here refers simply to an election or appointment of the elders. It is said indeed that Paul and Barnabas did this, but probably all that is meant by it is that they presided in the assembly when the choice was made. So I think what Albert Barnes is saying is that he's, he's, he's believing that Paul and Barnabas didn't appoint, didn't point to and say this one, this one, and this one. They presided over the voting arrangements to make sure they were done with appropriateness, with reverence. You know, like you were talking about superintending? Mm-hmm. That's what I think Paul and Barnabas were doing here. They were superintending these, these, the, the, these congregations to make sure that they were making choices in an appropriate fashion. So the congregation has the power to make the choice for who guides them in their Christian leadership. That's what this scripture is saying. That's different. That's very different. So when we look at it, I say, wait a minute, hold on. That's not what that's we do. That I know. I know. This, this is one of the things you gotta say, what? So let's this this word is only used one other time in scripture. Okay. There's a couple of other uses of the scripture. We'll we'll put that into rewind, but they're really kind of added postscripts, if you will, to some scriptures. But this is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 16 through 19. It uses that word ordained, but in this case, it's translated as chosen. 
But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus, for he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you on his own accord. And we have sent him with the brother whose praise it is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. Okay, so they're talking about this brother who was chosen by the churches. How would they have chosen him? It wasn't appointed. Raising of the hand. Right. They would have said, we're, we're in favor of him. So it gives you the sense that the churches did the choosing. That's the same word for ordained in the previous scripture. So folks, you see that when you get into the scriptures, there is a whole different perspective when you get under the the, the top layer. And this is really important. How would this brother have been chosen? Like you said, they raised their hands. They voted for him. And that's what this verse is exactly, precisely describing. So it should be God's spirit. Again, this God's spirit is everything in how our church leadership should function. It should be God's spirit that drives and guides such voting and not personal preference. So, Jonathan, what about your own experience as, as an elder? Well, when I was elected for the first time, I felt unworthy because of the great responsibility uh, that it was. But since God allowed it, I would do what I could because it was from his spirit begotten ones that felt I should. And if I turned it down, I might have been turning down what God's will was for me at that time. So I gave, I, you know, I, I did my best. Uh, I felt unworthy and I humbly moved forward. And uh, the Lord has helped me grow through that experience in ways I could have never grown any other way. So, you know, that's interesting because we, we come from very different perspectives. I was, I was brought up as a very, very, very serious student of Scripture. My dad was an elder in the church, so I did, I've never known anything different than this. Right. And as a kid, I was learning all of these things, and, and it was impressed upon me the deep responsibility and the reverence of what, quote, eldership really, really meant. And with you, you came from the outside and came in. That's right. And absorbed what was important. And when you were called upon, it's like, I don't know, that's big. That's kind of too big for me. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I felt. <laughs> but I appreciate the way you, you put it, that you didn't want to turn down God's will. And you saw God's will, if I can translate what you said and just correct me if I'm wrong, you saw God's will in the voting of the congregation. That's right, because it's, as you mentioned, the Holy Spirit chooses. It's not emotional. It's not, I like you. It's God put on my heart that this individual would be a great shepherd of the flock. And so it wasn't easy at the beginning, was it? No, not at (laughs) all. It was tough, hard. You have to put your nose to the grindstone and really take it seriously and prepare to try to bring honor to the Lord while you're serving the congregation. And is it easy now? No. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You're right. It's the same responsibility. Yeah. 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 You know, and and the challenges never cease. They never do. They never do. That's right. Because it it is such a 
a, a, um, a big, big responsibility. It's such a big thing to take upon your, 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 yourself, to accept. You're, you're, you're given that opportunity and to accept it, it is a big thing. So getting back to the voting, okay, because again, the power, like you said before, is in the hands of the congregation, literally in the hands, in the voting of the congregation. Absolutely. But how can we be sure that that word that we talked about depicts a voting environment, a voting environment, and not ordaining as we might normally think. Well, there's another word for ordain in Scripture. Sounds the same, a very different word. So, Jonathan, let's first go through the definition, and then we'll use uh, go to a couple of examples of this word. What does this other word for ordain actually mean? It means to place. Okay. And the lexicon uh, brings it to set to put, to place, a place to lay, to put down, to lay down, to make. Uh, so many definitions. And this seems to be the word. I think many churches think that ordained means when they're electing their elders. I, I, I think you're right. And again, it's used in some places. It's, it's uh, translated ordained, depending on the translation. But, but the problem, Rick, with this word ordained is it's a way to control who was put in position of leadership. And we want God's will to be done. And the congregation knows, everyone in the congregation knows their, their ability to find scriptures, to, to encourage, to uplift. They understand. But having someone ordained and sent somewhere else that's a very different thing. Yeah, it is. So it, we're, we're, we're saying that the voting is, is a much more desirable environment than the appointing because the voting comes from those who know the individual. Exactly. And that's, a, that's an important part of this. So let's look at a couple of uses of this word, this other word for ordain in the scripture that does mean to place. And there is an authoritativeness to this word. Matthew uh, 5.15 is one of the times it's used. Neither do man light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a lampstand, and give it light unto all that are in the house. Okay, you put it, you don't put it under a bushel basket. You don't take your candle and put it under a basket so nobody can see the light. It's going to catch fire, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe trouble. burn down your house. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, you know, you don't place it there. You don't make that, 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 uh, that individual decision, this is where I put it. On the contrary, God speaking to Jesus prophetically, you know, through the Psalms, Luke twenty forty three. this is a very simple statement. Till I make thine enemies thy footstool. That's, that word make is the same as to place or to put. Yeah, the, uh, God is saying until I put it in place the way I want it to be put in place. There's an authoritativeness to the use of this particular word. And in Hebrews 1, 2 also uses this word, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So, go ahead. That's the word appointed, same word. Right, right. So God is saying he appointed Jesus as heir of all things. Yes. And when God appoints, there's no voting, there's no discussion. God makes the decision. It's set in stone, Rick. Yes, it is. And so that's the difference between the two words. The first word is choosing as a function of a group. The second word is placing as a personal decision. The second word, placing as a personal decision, is never used in relationship to the 
deciding who will be an elder or a minister in a congregation. So early church eldership was a function of the church's decision, essentially the vote of those whom the elder would be shepherding, and not a function of the decision of any one individual or any outside committee of individuals. It was a function of the group. So what's our Christian leadership conclusion here? The voting process by each individual congregation sets the powerful precedent of each group having God's Spirit direct them to determine their own leadership. And the key factor, again, is God's Spirit. And, you know, Jonathan, we, we, we keep harping on that because that is the linchpin, as we said before, of this whole process. And that's why the power can be in the hands of the congregation. If they have God's Spirit, they're not just people. They're people driven by God's will. And if your congregation, you don't see the Spirit, well, you shouldn't be there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you should leave if there's no Spirit there. You know, how do you tell the Spirit? Well, subject for another time, but the idea is this is reverence. This is the, the, the reverent way to look at how decisions are made. And our question today is, you know, do our church, does our church leadership have it right? Are we following scriptural principles as they're laid out as we're discussing, or are we looking at things, you know, a little bit, little bit differently? So really, um, wow, <laughs> decision-making responsibility is squarely on the shoulders of the congregation as well as the leaders. Doesn't this idea of each congregation guiding themselves sound like an invitation for trouble? Our CQ crew is always giving you podcast extras, like our exclusive weekly newsletter that highlights featured episodes you may not have discovered yet, video content you may not have seen yet, CQ Rewind show notes, extra Bible study questions, and social media highlights, all packed into an easy-to-follow email inbox delivery. Sign up now by texting CQ Rewind to the number 22828. That's CQ Rewind with no spaces. Text to the number 22828. We Never sell or give away your information, and you can unsubscribe at any time. It's easy. So just send us a text and you'll be subscribed. You know, looking back over the last 2,000 plus years, we can say that setup was trouble, but to be fair, we need to look at Christianity's history. Once it became organized and centralized, its factions were bigger and often very violent. How many innocent lives were Christian denominations responsible for taking? Let's look back at the history of the Dark Ages. Hundreds of thousands of innocent people were tortured and martyred in the name of Christ. Now when we look back over the last few hundred years, we see cases of physical, mental, and emotional abuse among organized denominations. What has happened is based on improper organization. Giving power to individuals makes way for corruption, selfishness, and greed. It does not represent Christ-likeness. Remember, elders are servants. You know, and, and the idea of power to an individual. Look at government. Look at history. Whenever you have an individual with too much power, what happens? And I really believe that's why God set up the true church to act in a way where nobody had so much of that power, but it was in the hands of those that surrounded them. I think it was done with clarity and realizing that his spirit 
would be able to guide and direct these things. Perhaps the simplicity of early Christianity can be compared to the simplicity of the systems of, of, of the system of judges way back in early Israel's time. The judges were in place, they came from the communities and before they had a king. It worked, but it was not appealing to the people as they wanted a ruler they could see and follow just like other nations. So it, it, there was a system that was simple, that wasn't built on power, but the people didn't like it. That's kind of interesting to me, kind of like a parallel, like, well, you know, are we in Christianity? Do we want that person to have the power to show us so we feel like, wow, we've got good, strong direction? Or are we willing to look for that humble servitude? I mean, you got to think about that. Put these things together. Let's go to another soundbite from Ravi Zacharias, uh, and this is on, interestingly, servanthood. If you go through the New Testament, you'll find the word leader hardly ever comes, but the word servant comes hundreds of times. We are really called to serve. So the second thing I would say to you is, if you are a leader, make sure what you believe. Don't, be, don't get carried around by the wind of every new doctrine that comes around. Study the scriptures to know what the Bible tells you about life, about meaning, about sacredness, about your eternal destiny, about what God teaches us, about the, 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 the condition of human beings even at the end of life. All kinds of newfangled theories are coming out. Be careful that you don't get swallowed up by every wind of doctrine. So remain humble. You didn't arrive where you are because of your own skill. Remember that the Word of God tells you you are called there by His grace and by His mercy. Very well said. Very well said. <laughs> Amen. Okay, so let, let's go on to um, Christian leadership. Okay, let's look at what Christian leadership is. Christian leadership is supposed to be humble. You know, we've talked about that. It's an important aspect. Let's go to John chapter 13, verses 12 to 14. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You know, Jonathan, I just want to drop in a, a quick comment from our uh, Facebook a question on this. Uh, Joshua says, I think a good Christian leader must set an example in their lifestyle. They must show, must tell us what's right, but even more importantly, they must show us in their actions. Jesus set this standard, and Paul has some great examples in his writings about he, how he set a great example for us as well. And I think that really carries a long way. The, the idea here, spiritually, spiritual-driven humility, or I'm sorry, spirit-driven humility, is our basis for God's providence to even be able to work. And last week on episode 1139, Thou Shalt Not Covet, Is It Wrong to Want?, we talked about how we need to raise our longing up to a humble, God-pleasing level. Godly humility is a higher standard of living. It is. And raise yourself up to a humble way of life because you're taking away the ego and all of those things. That's hard to do. And you have to do it again and again and again because we forget. So humility is a basis. That's why Jesus washed his disciples' feet. You know, the interesting thing is previous to that, they were talking about who would be greatest in the kingdom. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and so he's saying, you know, I think I need to teach them something here. So yes. he, their Lord and Master, got down on his hands and knees and he washed their feet as the lowest servant would. 
That's the example of humility. With that, Christian leadership is to be of good character and integrity in all areas of life. First, I'm sorry, Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, this is, this in 1 Timothy 3, are lists of responsibilities and qualifications for somebody to be an elder. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused or of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teachings, so that he will be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Wow. Well, Rick, I want to touch on some of these uh, words in here. How about the first? The husband of one wife. It does not say not a woman of one husband. Yeah, that's true. It does say the husband of one wife. And like it or not, and you can say, well, that's sexist. Well, that's God's word. Okay? And there is actually a very, very important reason for all of that. Not going to go into it now, but it is the husband of one wife. It should be a male individual because that's what God's word says. It's really simple. How about another word? Dissipation, unruly. We should never be part of rioting, is what that's saying. Yeah, and there's a lot of that that goes on right about now, isn't there? There certainly is. How about this one? The elder should not be self-willed. He is the servant of the congregation. The congregation directs the elder on what they would like to learn and study. What a novel idea. Yeah, yeah. Again, the elder is serving. You know, another one, not fond of sordid gain. You know, let's be honest. If you do it so you can get paid, you're doing it for the complete wrong reason. And, and, and you say, well, you know, I deserve, well, no, let's talk about how much the Apostle Paul got paid. How much did the Apostle Peter get paid? What did Jesus get paid? Okay, let's look at those examples and say, look, the idea of serving is from the heart, period. That's the sole motivation. Well, I want to be able to have a good position. No, you want to be able to serve. That's really what it boils down to. And I love the last verse, verse 9, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that you can not only teach, but you can defend the sound doctrine of the gospel. There's a lot to being an elder. This is not to be taken lightly. lightly. This kind of character with all these things, Jonathan, is essential, but so also is fidelity to the gospel and all that it stands for. It's not just about being a good person. It's about having your mind and heart set in Scripture and having the truth of Scripture permeate through you as best as you're able and to learn and to teach and to learn and to be an example and to teach. It's about being of good character and integrity, especially when nobody is watching. Especially when nobody's watching. So we've got be humble, be of good character and integrity. Next, Christian leadership is to be well-versed 
and teach based upon Scripture. We touched on that with verse 9, but let's go to 2 Timothy 2, 14 to 16. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. Okay, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed because you are accurately handling the word of truth. Jonathan, that is a hard task. And it's a constant task for an elder. It is. To refresh, to re- revisit subjects, to, to read, grow, to, lear- to listen to sermons uh, from others that they respect. It, it just goes on and on. You never stop learning. Yeah, you know, and, and a good example of that is, you know, we've been doing this podcast radio program for 22 years. And, you know, over that period of time, we've gone over certain subjects several times. That's right. And I will tell you, personally... I, you go back to a subject and you think, okay, we did this before. Well, surprise, surprise. There's an extra depth. There's more to it. There's more to learn. There's more to understand. And I can't tell you how many times I sit down to study and say, wow, I never saw that before. <laughs> because it's that sense of always digging deeper into the Word of God, well-versed and teaching based upon Scripture. Next point on Christian leadership. Again, Christian servanthood, really. Christian leadership is to be the first line of defense against wolves in sheep's clothing. Uh, Acts 20, verses 28 to 30. Be on the guard for yourselves and for all the flock, amongst which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. So not only are you supposed to have good character and have integrity and be honest and above board and righteous and and, and humble and gracious, but you're to be the first line of defense because there are several places in Scripture that says, be aware, savage wolves will come in not sparing the flock. They want what they want. They see people who are willing to follow, and they're going to take advantage of them, and they're going to teach them things that are not spiritual but earthly, and we see that all the time in churches now, and we have to stand up against it and protect those who have been put into our care. Well, Rick, the purity of the gospel, Yeah, you've got to go back to the original gospel and make sure through that teaching and understanding that people are secure with that foundation so that they aren't swayed or, or, or uh, taken advantage of. And that's why the teachings within the church need to have depth. You need to have lessons that are character-driven and that are inspirational. But you need depth. You need the un- to understand the why of the Scriptures. That's such an important part of this. So, so spiritual danger lurks from without and from within. Elders need to be aware, and they need to be protective. So, so far, we've got humble, good character, integrity, well-versed, first line of defense. Further, Christian leadership is to be focused on staying entirely in line with the original gospel truth. That's what you just said. As complacency and error easily, easily creep in with the passage of time. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. 
I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Okay, so this is, this is beautiful because the Apostle Paul is, is, is writing to young Timothy. And Timothy is an elder. He's a young elder. And he's encouraging him, look, here's your job. You need to make sure I solemnly charge you to, to, to preach the word, to be ready at all times. Even when you don't think you're supposed to be ready, you need to be ready. To reprove, rebuke, exhort with patience, not, not anger, with patience and instruction. Okay, let's finish verses uh, 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Ouch. And now take a look around. Take a oh. look around. <laughs> really, folks, we are living in an age where so much of this is, is true. Do we go to church so we can get our ears tickled? Now, not literally, but so we can hear the kinds of things that make us feel good about the way we are. You know what? The gospel isn't about making you feel good about the way you are. It's about challenging you to understand the footsteps of Jesus and to learn how to boldly follow those steps with humility and grace and wisdom. It's going to church should be instructional, inspirational, and in some ways disturbing, because we should always be walking out saying, I should do better. I need to do better. And, you know, and, and Jonathan, I know this is true of you because I know you, but every, 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 <laughs> single, every single time I'm in a, in a meeting and I'm responsible for that meeting, when we're done, I always say to myself, I should have done better. You know, I, I, why didn't I, what, how come, I do that after every single podcast too, you know? <laughs> I, I, I say the same, I have work to do. Yes, yes. To be more Christ-like. I, I, there's areas that I can improve in, I need to do that. I feel the same exact way, Rick. It's not about hearing what you want so you feel good. It's about learning what you need so you can be good in the sight of God. Big Amen. difference between the two. Our final Christian leadership conclusion, Jonathan. Good men of character who are called of God and begotten of his spirit may be called upon to humbly shepherd the flock of Jesus in their congregation. The simplicity of this spiritual setup keeps power out of the hands of individuals and in the hands of the congregation. You know, this is such a, a, an amazing thing. Now, again, folks, we have presented you today with a perspective on Christian leadership that you may not have ever heard before. It, in our minds, and, and look, this is not something that Jonathan and I figured out, okay? This is something we were taught. We were taught how to understand the scriptures, and we were guided, and then we were challenged to go prove it for yourself. But when you look at this, what you see is a process that is equitable, that is clear, that avoids all of the pitfalls of ego as far as it possibly can, and it relies upon God's Spirit it relies upon the congregation, and it relies upon cooperation and fellowship. It is a process that says we choose our leadership because we want to be taught in the Word of God, in the will of God, in the way of God, 
not don't don't teach us things that just make us feel good teach us things that help us to become mature so we be, be that body of christ that works together that is how christian leadership is supposed to be chosen according to scripture and is supposed to work think about it folks listen we really do want to hear from you Give us your choice, your feedback, or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Now, coming up next week, we want to build a little bit on what we talked about here. We talked about Christian leadership here today. Well, what we want to ask the question about next week is simple. Does Christianity preach the gospel? Does Christianity preach the gospel? What do we mean by that? You're going to have to find out next week. Talk to you then.